Hello and welcome to the all-new App Advice Weekly Podcast. Formerly known as the Apple and Apps and App Addict Weekly Podcast, we're starting over brand new with episode one of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and my co-host is Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net. Our first episode is a look back at 2016 with our picks for the best games of the past year. How are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing good. This is excited about the, uh, the new podcast, and it's 2017 now, so we're going all in. Yep, we have an all-new kind of platform to work with, and what better way than to look back at 2016? Yeah, I mean, it was a good year for games. I think you told me there were 233,000 new iOS games that released in 2016. That is absolutely insane for the number of games. Yeah, we didn't quite play them all, but... <laughs> no, not a chance. <laughs> I think we played most of the ones that were worth anyone's attention. I certainly hope so. I know I played a lot of good games, some bad games, but uh, today we're going to focus on the good games. And so we both had a top 50 list, but for this podcast, we're just going to focus on the top 10 because we don't want to take a million hours. We want to, you know get done before 2018 so (laughs) (laughs) we'll start out with number 10 and brett and i both picked the same game for number 10 it's disney crossy road which i mean crossy road came out a few years ago so this isn't the most original game but that doesn't take away from just the amount of fun and just enjoyment it delivers and i think the main reason for me was that it stayed relevant it seemingly throughout the year because it kept getting updated with new content and new incentive to go back in. So, you know, you start out and you have these classic Disney properties. And then as new movies came out, like Finding Dory, you have that update. And now you have all new things to unlock. Right. Not only that, but this game, like they could have easily just put out a reskinned version, called it Disney Crossy Road and called it a day. And it still would have done well and made money. But they didn't do that. Hipster Whale and Disney actually took the time to craft and improve on the original Crossy Road formula by creating each one of these movies or properties that they base one of these worlds on. They introduced some new element that really kind of changes up the gameplay. Not a ton because you still want that simple uh, tap and moving uh, ahead and jumping and trying to cross the road but they added new elements to it that keep things interesting and so you always wonder what's going to be the new thing with the new world that comes out and not just what's going to be the property because that's also exciting and what characters they're going to pixelize and become like these little 8-bit versions of themselves but you also have these interesting elements that add to the gameplay and change it up so it's not just strict swiping and crossing the road so that was one of the reasons and then my daughters absolutely really love this game they keep on playing they get just as excited as i do when new packs are released and now they can unlock new characters they've gone way ahead of me at one point i was caught up and i had everything unlocked and then new packs came out and then i kind of slowed down but still it's one of these games that i've been playing throughout the year and like you said the new content really keeps it relevant and fresh throughout the year and that's what you're looking for for these best of games that they stay with you either it was an experience that stayed with you, or it's something you continue to play throughout the year. It, like you said, they just did such a good job where not only are you getting new characters to unlock, but each of those new unlock packs is a new environment 
with new tactics. So you have that familiar tap to hop, but now, you know, you have these different objectives to go to. Like I always remember the Lion King one with the stampede coming across or the Tangled one where the boxes are coming towards you. And so then they introduced Monsters, Inc. one, and there's this big spotlight that changes stuff. And you just keep having these new things. So not only do you want to see the new edition of Pirates of the Caribbean, you want to see what they did with it to actually change the environment that you're playing through. Right. And they also did another step to make it more user-friendly, which is that prize machine. So everyone's familiar with you pick up coins and then you can use it. Once you reach 100 coins, you can spin the prize machine and hopefully unlock a new character. Well, one of the disappointing things with the original Crossy Road was if you got a repeat character, you were out of luck. So what? You you wasted those 100 coins. You you probably worked hard for them, but now they didn't earn you anything. Well, in the Disney Crossy Road, they made it much more friendly and now they add the secondary prize machine where any anytime you happen to spin and unlock a character you've already unlocked, then you, based on their rarity, you get money towards the secondary prize machine, which it takes a little longer to earn a spin, but at least you're not wasting. And when you spin that other machine, you are guaranteed to get someone you don't have. So there's never feels like you wasted those coins on the prize machine. You're always working towards a character you don't have, whether it's with having to go with the secondary spin or getting it right from the primary machine. And that's Disney Crossy Road. It's free, it's universal, so there's no reason not to check it out in case you did miss it when it was released in 2016. Yep. And then number nine, again, we match up. This time it's Zero, which is a digital board game that really emphasizes kind of planning out your moves because you're given a layout where you have these card tiles to play on the board and each tile has multiple paths on it and every player has a stone and the stones are going to travel across those paths so you create the paths as you place the tiles and you're going to want to make it so your stone travels as far as possible but you can also have the strategic play of making it where your opponent's stone goes on a path and then crashes to no connecting path so each piece you have that balance of trying to progress your stone trying to block the other players and then you can play with up to eight people that can be with local multiplayer, online multiplayer, or there's also a single player mode with a computer opponent or computer opponents. So you have multiple ways to play as well. Right. And with those computer opponents, you actually have three different AI levels you can pick, too. So you can max, you can play against all sorts of different players and really test your skills or you can play it a little easy to learn the the nice thing about this game and why it was on my list is not only is it a beautiful uh rendition of the game where it is all 3d there's beautiful like it's out the board is laying out in the sand when the tiles come down you see the sand kind of spread out it just looks so realistic and almost gives it a tactile feel even though it is a digital version of this physical board game but the game itself is so approachable that you can have anyone play this game. Uh, my kids have played it. I played it. Anyone, even non-gamers can play this. It's a simple set of rules, but there's so much strategy there. Yes, there's an element of luck of which tiles are going to get dealt to you, but then making the most of the tiles you get is part of the game and figuring out strategy of how can I get into an area where maybe no one else is or how can I force my opponent to a certain location so that I can turn them around, send them down a path that's going to send them right off the board, and I win. So there's all kinds of 
strategy, emergent strategy as you're playing where you're just kind of reacting to what you have. But it's such a deep game, even though it is so simple to just pick up and play. And I really love that they have that solo option because digital board games are great to play with others, but you don't always have others when you want to play the game. So you have that choice, especially because there's more there's different modes to play so you have just that try to last the longest but then there's the mode where you want to create the longest path and then the mode where you have the loop battle where you try to create the most loops within the path right and that totally changes up the gameplay and makes it so you have to employ different strategies than you might have especially the loop one that you have to have a whole different method of thinking than just going for the battle of trying to outlast your opponent and i yes i agree i love the fact that it is a you can have a solo experience but at the same time you can also have all of these online players and play it asynchronously or sitting around the couch you don't want to maybe you're on a trip and you can't carry the the full-size board game with you just whip out your iPad and you have this game ready to go. You don't even have to set up tiles or remove tiles or anything. It does it all for you, but it's beautiful and plays just like the physical board game. Yep. And so that's Zero. It's currently $2.99 and it's universal. And then number eight for me is Severed, which is a game that came out like middle of the year. And it was Apple's editor's choice. And, you know, their editor's choices aren't always the best. But <laughs> Sever definitely stood out as one of their better picks of the year simply because it offers that full-on kind of RPG or even just adventure game, like a Legend of Zelda style, but made specifically for iOS. It has the familiar mechanics of, like, Infinity Blade or Fruit Ninja, where you have that touch-centric idea of swiping to attack enemies, but they build upon it for this whole new adventure experience. You get to play as this one-armed warrior who is in search of her family, and you're going to have to go through these nightmarish worlds that are just bursting with color and creative enemies, and each enemy has kind of different styles of attack. So some might block your directional swipe, so you have this little corridor that you can slash through to attack them. Others attack you from multiple sides, and then others have timing mechanics where you slash them and then they take a few seconds to rebuild so you can go attack another enemy and then turn around really quick. And though you have all these different things going on, it's still easily to control it with just touch. You know, you don't have to worry about on-screen menus or doing any kind of, you know, virtual buttons. You can just swipe and it feels effortless, but the challenge is still there. It's not super watered down. Right. Yeah, this wasn't in my top 10, but I loved this game when it came out. It was, it for me, it kind of took Infinity Blade that next step, where now you actually have like a more of a story around it. The whole thing where you're battling the multiple en enemies at the same time, and you have to keep track of that, and you're trying not to get hit so you don't ruin your focus meter that you've tried to build up. It just is so much more engaging and rewarding when you do pull it off i feel like it's just a, a tougher game in certain ways and it just felt more of like a complete i don't know a complete story and a complete uh experience where infinity blade just felt more like it was focused on going from battle to battle you never really uh kind of progress any kind of story at least as far as i felt i, I know there was a story there but to me that didn't really compel me or matter to me at all where this one i felt more like you were engaged in the character you wanted to proceed to the things and you 
felt like you had to complete these battles and they were more intense because of that dual enemy at the same time. Yeah, I think compelling story is probably the key takeaway just because you have that incentive to want to play through the full game. And that's one of the most important aspects if you're going to be on a best of games list. It's great to have all these features, but it's more important to have a game where you want to play through all of it's included. Just that mini map they have in the upper right, you have this focused direction and then there's forking pathways and you want to go explore these different rooms to find different collectibles and potential upgrades. So you have that core idea and then just there's that overarching idea where you're traveling somewhere. You actually have a destination to reach and you want to get there. Yes, yeah, I agree. And so that's Severed. It's four ninety nine, and it's universal. And my number eight is higher on Trevor's list, so I will take a swing at that title a little bit later. Sounds good. And so <laughs> for number seven, my choice was Peter Panic. Come on, which... sing it. Peter oh, I'm Panic. Not, there's, there's no way I'm singing it. <laughs> uh, there's some things I know that I can't do. <laughs> and so with Peter Panic, it came out way, it seems like, at least for sure in Q1 of 2016. It was in but March. It stuck, yeah, it stuck with me just because it was completely different than anything I've played on iOS or really any gaming platform where it's a <laughs> musical that you actually get to play through and it adopts that frantic minigame setup of WarriorWare where you have the, you know, do something and you get five seconds to do it and then you have to do it and then you get the sequence of them. But rather than just like an endless kind of arcade challenge, they set it up into that musical storyline. So Peter busts into song. There are these fully developed, you know, original scores with lyrics fully composed to go through. Those kind of scenes stand on their own. You want to just watch them by themselves, regardless of a game's included. And then the actual game, you need to, you know, achieve a certain score, uh, complete a certain number of mini games to then unlock the next section of story. And so you're going to want to do that. You know, the story is so great that you're going to want to complete these mini games. And the mini games have a nice humor to them that fit in with the overall musical theme and the storyline that's included. Yeah, the thing I love about the first of all, the musical aspect of this game is phenomenally well done. Like the, you could tell they, they, they could have just kind of thrown some songs together, but you could tell they actually thought about these songs and put some real thought and effort into creating what could be a real musical. And they break the fourth wall during portions of it, and just it's so much humor built into it, which you would kind of expect from Adult Swim. But then the mini games, I love how they follow that format where they don't tell you exactly what you need to do. They give you like that one or two word little drag it or push it or some little word that to try to get you to figure out and the first couple of times you try to do these these mini games you're probably going to fail just because you're trying to figure them out and then when you start to make future attempts at them then it's you you start to know the rules but then after the first five or so that you get right then it speeds up and now you have to move faster you got to work harder if you want to reach these like 15 successes in order to move on to the next section so it is it's like you have the little minigame portion and then you have the musical portions and both of them are just so appealing and the fact that they work so well together and they crafted like this whole story 
it this was yes a very memorable game and they even came out with like a whole second set of content for it throughout the year and I, this was one I, I need to get back to you i i played through the whole first half of it and i i got stuck in one part when i saw it was on your list i went back to it and started playing today and i forgot exactly how much i love this game and i need to go back and now get into the second half of the game they just did such an amazing job and it's like they wrote the musical first came up with a whole separate game experience second and married them together and a great combination which makes it the number seven app on my best of 2016 and peter panic is free and it's universal and so kind of keeping with that same uh theme mine is a very strange game as well and mine is actually my number seven pick is party hard go which is the ios port of the uh tiny build game where basically it's imagine that you are like dexter a mix of dexter american psycho and the movie neighbors and you are just this kind of psychotic guy who just wants to get some sleep and all of a sudden, these people in the house next door to you start throwing a loud party. And instead of doing what a sane person would do and call the cops to shut it down, you decide you're going to go over there and just murder everyone. And the key is not to get caught. So you basically have to try to entice people away from this party. They're all drunk and don't really know what's going on. Half the time they're passed out. So you've got to kill the people Hide the bodies if you can. If not, you got to wait out the police coming to collect the bodies when someone starts screaming because they notice a body. There's traps you can set off to take out people kind of covertly. And the whole point of the game is basically to just murder everyone and get away with it. And you'll go through a whole bunch of different locations, different parties, and then you start to unlock uh, different characters you can take the role of. And it is just... It's deeply disturbing, but in the same, it's so much fun, and I find it kind of unnerving that I did find it so much fun, but sometimes you just want to have that experience of being Dexter, but not actually killing anyone. Yeah, they make a great stealth experience, and then they apply this hilarious theme. I mean, I don't think you could come up with a better theme than the idea that to quiet down a party, you're just going to kill everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and they execute the theme really well to the point that you have multiple party scenarios you know you start out with just like a typical house party but then you go to like an arena or a beach party and you have these different scenarios and then you have to interact with different items in the environment to kill these different people and hide bodies like you can hide bodies in the bathroom at a house but then when you're at the beach you don't have that so you might have to use something else and then the same with you could like trigger a heater to explode and that kills some people. You could spike the punch that kills some people. So you have these different things to balance. And then, like you said, you, you're not just going to come with like a machete and slash everybody in the party. You have to do it <laughs> as discreetly as possible. Yes. Otherwise the cops come and then you got to try to outrun the cops and try to get someplace where you can hide or they'll arrest you. And then you got to start all over again. There are some difficult levels in this and then there's one super easy level where you're in like a party bus and you basically just can take everyone out because there's no one around to arrest you. Uh, but it is so much fun and is such a creative, inventive game that I had I had to put it on this list because I had so much fun with this title. 
Yeah, Party Hard Go, it's only it's way down at 14 on my list. So <laughs> it's definitely one that stood out in 2016. And any kind of, I mean, you're probably going to sense a theme. The more original these games can be, the more likely they'll end up on this list. Yeah. <laughs> and how much is Party Hard Go? Uh, Party Hard Go is currently six ninety nine, and it's universal. And so that sets up number six. My number six is higher on higher on Brett's list, so we'll solve this puzzle a little later. Okay, so my number six is a game called Concrete Jungle, and this one came out of nowhere. I had no idea this was even coming. I didn't even know. When I first looked at the screenshots, I thought it was some sort of a city-building game, and then I started playing it, and it's actually this really fantastic blend of digital board game and, like, a puzzle strategy game. And basically what you are is you're put in the role of, like, a city planner, and you're presented with this board of a 5 by 5 grid of tiles, and you have to choose between these different building tiles, which they each have kind of shapes of color on them, and they show you basically what other tiles around them, when placed, they'll affect. So if you were to place one of these tiles down, it might either decrease or increase the the value of the tiles around it on the board. And your whole goal is to kind of bring up the the, each of these columns have a goal number. So you have to build onto these row, these columns such that you meet that goal number. So like building a house might bring it up by one. But if you can put like a park next to the house, then now that would increase the value of that house to two. And so now you're that much closer to your goal, which starts out at three. And so it's all kind of the strategy of where do you place these tiles and you have limited places where you can put them. And then meet these various goals and if you can't you can skip a, a, a column but then you take a hit and you can't take too many hits otherwise you you lose and you have to start over but it's there are over like 200 of these different tiles to unlock each of them have different ways they affect the board and it just makes for just such interesting strategy and figuring things out that it just really appealed to my digital love of digital board games and it just felt so original and different uh, than anything that I played on iOS before. Yeah, it has that sim building style, like even like a sim city or sim town. But then you have this kind of matching game and then that strategy board idea. So you want to each row or each column constitutes a point total that you want to get to. And so, like you said, you need to have a certain number of houses and you want to build those house score up to get like a score of five. And then once you reach that five, you clear that line. And so you can actually set it up like Tetris, where you can start building the lines further out, and then like you'll complete four at once and get this whole combo multiplier going with the properly placed houses. So you have a few different things to consider, and then it's not just like an endless arcade game. You have these different city-building scenarios to go through. I don't know how many there are, but each one you know, introduces a new kind of building type or just um, something like kind of to throw you off like you might have a city that has this big huge factory and so now you have to deal with all those negative squares and precariously build around them and then 
the each housing piece or each residential piece has a certain size. So that's kind of like Tetris 2 where you have to put those sizes into the proper place. So it has a bunch of different mechanics going on, and they all blend together for a really nice challenge. Yeah, and it gets more and more complex as you go, and they, they do a nice job of introducing you these to these elements. Like, you can start to block houses together to create blocks of houses, and there's all these different tricks you can do to try to really maximize your points and increase the value so you can progress through all of these various levels. And it, it's just one that I've been playing throughout the year that... Uh, I've just really been enjoying it uh, just because it, is, it feels so different. And so that is um, Concrete Jungle. It is four ninety nine, and it is a universal app. And it's all the way down at 29 on my list. But, but at least it cracked I'm, the top 50. Right? Yeah, if you're on that top 50, they're good. It's splitting hairs to get it down to a top 10. <laughs> and so my number five is also higher on brett's list so i'll deal with that one in a few minutes okay so then my number five is i i end up picking a number of these ports of uh, from other platforms to ios just because for me i i mean i i do like the original experiences but the ports when they do it well they stick with me and the, it just feels like a solid game sometimes the touch interface that you get from the mobile experience just makes them better so my number five is a game called steam world heist and this was one i saw at pax east earlier this or last year i guess now at this point uh <laughs> and it is a turn-based strategy game set in this kind of steampunk universe and basically you play the commander of a robotic crew of space pirates and you you keep on having these certain missions you have to go on where you enter these other ships and then you have to track down the enemies and kill them or collect certain goods and then get off the ship and what you have is you lead this whole team of robots and you're remo you're moving them one at a time and you have and then the enemies will move and what you can do is you can fire at the at the enemies and you can ricochet bullets around and it's this whole strategy because you don't want to be in the way of certain types of enemies because they'll really destroy you where you have different classes of robots that each have certain strengths and weaknesses and you play with those in order to complete these missions and steamworld heist it just came out a few weeks ago and to the like right near the end of 2016 and you know it's a lot it reminded me of lost frontier just with that whole strategic yes, movement i can see that yeah 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 but it's more you know you're more in the battle rather than that top-down perspective. I think it's because of that 2D side-scrolling perspective, but it just makes it kind of more immersive as you focus on moving each player, and you have to directly deal and see the damage as well as the lines of shots that you can pull off against the enemies. Right, and also when you're firing in this game, you have this element of you have to have basically a steady trigger finger because what's happening is your character i mean he's a robot so he's not breathing but he is kind of moving his arm slightly so that path of the bullet is going to change slightly up until the point when you tap so you have to time your taps such that you're firing on the desired 
path so you can take out an enemy. If you miss, then they might take you out because now it's their turn to shoot. One other neat little thing that in it is that the enemies will be wearing hats, and you can hit the hat right off the enemy's head. And if you go pick it up, then any of your characters can wear that hat as well, which I thought was just a nice little cute touch that they added to the game. And just any of that kind of strategy experience... There's a lot of those on iOS. To stand out with that strategy experience, you have to do something relatively well or something extremely, you know, execute really well. And this game kind of does both. Yeah, it's super polished. And I, the the uh, developers said that they're going to be releasing another game in this universe uh, in this year, in 2017. So that's something to look forward to. So again, that's uh, SteamWorld Heist, and it's a universal app, and it's six ninety nine. And so now we're up to number four. We're almost to that top three. And so my number four was Brett's number eight. So let's talk about it now. And it's Super Stickman Golf 3. And so the third in the series continues what was already excellent. And so I think Super Stickman Golf 2 was right around the same place when it came out a couple years ago. And with the third installment, it continues that arcade golf experience where essentially you tap once to start your power and lock in your aim, and then you tap again to send your shot along the way. So it's a super easy game of golf, and you have that whole 2D setup. And what really makes it stand out is all the different hole layouts of all these different crazy courses. So you have all, you know, it's not just some traditional golf thing. You're going to have lava fields or magnetic pulses or portals or all kinds of crazy stuff to contend with. And so each shot has so much just, like, pressure on performing it right because you have that same idea of limiting your shots but now you know that it's going to take a certain number of shots to land through this portal that it lost launch through this straightaway and then maybe fall down through this crevice to possibly roll th to the hole and so number three doesn't reinvent the wheel but it adds this new feature called spin which lets you add a little bit of backspin or top spin to your ball while it's on the green to essentially, or even any flat platform, to give you kind of a push towards the hole or push towards one of those little ramps that might send you further along. So it can kind of push your ball and maybe cut down a stroke as you're going if you tap that spin at just the right angle. And then they've also set up new courses and hole layouts based on that spin. So you might want to land on one platform up above put some backspin, and then it's going to fall to a place that you couldn't hit directly from your shot. Yeah, Noodle Cake had a really strong year this year. They they put out games like Chameleon Run, The Bug Butcher, and late in the year they put out something called Island Delta, which I really enjoyed as well. But one of the, I mean, one of the best game series on mobile for me is the Super, Super Stickman Golf series. And number three Ironically, that spin mechanic actually really kind of cleans up the game and almost makes it so you don't even need the, the some of those special balls or the the, the different uh, yeah, all those swing types. And yeah. so to me, it almost like took it back a step and made it simpler. But in doing so, they made it a much more fun, clean, crisp experience that it made it even better than it was before. And that's what they seem to be doing every year when they release these new versions of Super Stickman Golf is they find a new way to refine the experience and make it that much better. And this year it was the spin. And that's what put it on my list because it just made this game that I already loved 
just that much better and that much just simpler to play. And that spin mechanic is so awesome. <laughs> yeah, the previous installment, you have the freeze ball and the sticky ball, and then you have the hats that can let you use extra power-ups or pull off special shots. But like you said, you don't really need those. They made the mechanics that much better, so you don't have to rely on power-ups to pull off some of these more complex holes. And then you have that whole single-player campaign of multiple courses to play through, and then they continue the online multiplayer with the daily race mode. And race mode is just crazy because it doesn't matter how many strokes you take. It's about getting there first, and you have you know seven other players all connected at once. And then there's also the turn-based matchup that you can play on your own pace. Right, yeah, and, and those, I mean, we've seen those in the past, but yeah, it, the I love that race mode, and my daughter and I played the race mode just sitting on the couch side by side, and it's it's so much fun because it just takes everything out of it, and then it's just, if you know where the shortcuts are, you can try to get ahead, but then otherwise, you're just, it doesn't matter where you're hitting, what you're hitting, you're just trying to get to that end as quickly as you can, and it just completely changes the feel of the game. And but it's still fun in its own right, even though it's like not miniature golf that you're used to or, or golf that you're used to. It's just crazy, frantic gameplay. But then when you have the separate full on either multiplayer or solo, like you said, you have all those different courses you can play. They brought back some classic courses as well. And it's just so much content in there. And the game is free for you to try. You can do the two ninety nine unlock, which adds some additional features, but it's absolutely free to go ahead and play. So you, if you're not playing this, you definitely should be. Yep. Like you said, Super Stickman Golf 3, it's free, it's universal. My number four is higher on Trevor's list, so I will direct him to talk about it later. And so that means we're up to the top three. And my top three is Crashlands, which comes from Butterscotch Shenanigans. It launched at the start of the year, January or February of 2016. And... It's just simply one of the most deluxe games you can get. I mean, this is that survival adventure experience with dozens of hours to play through. Essentially, as much as you want to put into the game is as much as you will get out of it. And what really stands out is there's a lot of the survival adventure genre, but it seems rare that they're accessible as this. Like, they might be ports that have these overbearing menus or just some kind of problems or just like that old style of thinking it this game was made from the ground up for touch and it just goes through everything that you do whether you're crafting something or getting something from your inventory interacting with the environment whatever the case may be and then also they make it so there's a, just a continuous supply of missions it seems like anytime you launch the game there's something to do and not only is there something to do but they're relatively quick to complete if you want to because it's kind of made for on-the-go gaming. So it's not like, here, spend the next five hours doing something. You can have a specific chunk, like you're on the go, oh, I can complete this right now. And just all those ideas of making it for touch, making it for on-the-go, but then still delivering the essence of the survival adventure is what made it a top three game for me. Yeah, this one was, it wasn't in my top ten, but it, this was 
early in the year this released, and I remember spending hours playing this game. It's one of those that you can, because those missions are so readily available, you can just get yourself lost in this game and just keep on playing and playing and playing before you know it, hours have passed by. And my daughter still continues to play this, and she loves playing through, just doing all the crafting. She loves Minecraft, so this sort of thing where you're just kind of going and chopping down things and crafting things or killing enemies and using their parts to then craft things, it's right up her alley. And I remember, I haven't played this in a while, but I remember when those first few months after it came out, I was playing it all the time. And it is, like you said, it... it Unlike other games where they try to bring it over from uh, the PC, and some have success, but other ones, they just don't know how to do it properly for touch. They try to kind of pigeonhole touch in. This feels so perfectly designed for iOS and for a mobile device that it just excels in this in, in the genre where others will tend to fail just because they don't put that thought into it like Butterscotch Shenanigans did for this game. And then there's just all the creativity of the world, all of the different creatures that you're going to interact with, and then they develop story of certain people or entities that you talk to, and they just keep developing and expanding upon this universe. It's just, you know, memorable. That's kind of the biggest takeaway, something that you're going to invest time in and then remember that that time you spent with it. Yes, yep, I agree. And so that's Crashland. It's four ninety nine, and it's universal. Okay, and my number three was actually Trevor's number eight, and that is Love You to Bits. And this game comes from, I mean, if you've seen the screenshots, it's a puzzle game where it's kind of a puzzle slash point-and-click adventure game, and it has a very similar look and feel to a game called Tiny Thief, which came out uh, a while back. And there's good reason for that, because the game is actually developed by two twin brothers, I believe, who were uh, both part of the Five Ants team that developed Tiny Thief, which I believe that's no longer even on the App Store anymore. But this one is like this cute love story about this clumsy astronaut who falls in love with this robot girlfriend, and then all of a sudden there's this explosion or someone kidnaps her. I forget exactly what happened, but her body parts are spread all about the universe. So now he's on a quest to go find all these parts that have been blown to bits and put the, her back together, his love. And you basically have to navigate these crazy worlds and figure out these puzzles in order to find pieces, not only of her, but other little uh, treasure pieces as well. And so as you know, you kind of go in like traditional point and click style where you find like an object and then you got to go figure out where you can use that object within the level to then unlock something else in the level and you're kind of just piecing things together as you go but it's got this whole cute love story it's this really fun animation style and it is just a beautiful game that is just so engaging that they did put out one update throughout the year to add a couple more levels but it's the type of thing where you are going to want to play through the entire thing uh and it you just kind of binge it because it's just so much fun yeah it has an endearing storyline you know, you actually care about the guy and his robot girlfriend. And they do that without having to use any words or anything like that. It's all just through imagery. And then every single level creates its own scene. It's like, you know, because you're going to a completely different planet. And they fully embrace that idea to be super creative in 
making all these different puzzle experiences with each respective planet. And then, like you said, you're collecting the parts of her. So you have that incentive, go to this level, you get this piece, and then you want to put her back together because of that storyline. And that is what really makes a good puzzle adventure. And that Tiny Thief, I mean, Tiny Thief was great. Rovio Stars published it. It was removed. So to have Love You to Bits in its place, I'm not complaining. Yeah, this almost seems to take it to that next level, too. They yeah. they took what they learned from Tiny Thief and really kind of really polished it up and made it that much better of a game. And my nine-year-old, she played through it. We both sat side by side on the couch. We were both playing on our own devices. And if one of us would get stuck, we'd help each other out. And she absolutely loved it as well. This this was one of her favorites of the year as well. And as soon as we saw that new pack of a couple levels came, we we like burned through those so quickly. So I'm hoping that the, I don't know how successful the game was, but I'm hoping it did well enough that we see either more levels either in a paid in-app purchase or a whole another sequel come out this year. But I guess time will tell, but this was a really fun and memorable game and it's called love you to bits. And it was a universal app and it's three ninety nine. And just one clarification. It was my number six. Don't be putting it way down. Oh, it was number eight. six. Oh, did I mess <laughs> that up? Oh, it's all good. Oh, it was number six. I just misread yeah. the, uh, the text. Okay. That's how good it is. Yep. <laughs> And so number two, I picked Inks, which comes from the makers of Lumino City, and it has that same kind of not there's little comparison, but just in terms of production values and just kind of that expectation of something original and really highly well produced, that's what Inks produces. And it gives you a combination of pinball and action puzzle game. So rather than that classic going hitting certain ramps to score certain points you have a very targeted goal of needing to hit these certain color bursts so you want to aim up your shots to hit the ball right off the flipper into one of these color palettes and then you want to do so in as few shots as possible if you're aiming for you know the gold so it depends on the level, but you want to use as few shots as possible to aim for that gold. Some are going to take more, but some levels you might have one shot, you hit the certain color burst, and explodes. And then it seems what really makes the game stand out is that those color items explode, and it creates this canvas art of rainbow color patterns that change based on how hard you do hit that palette. So if you barely touch it, it might be a little paint block. But if you smack it, it's going to be all over the screen. And then when the ball rolls through the paint, it creates a path. So you get to see all the paths of your shots as the ball rolls through the paint. So you have that double kind of creative art effect. And then you can save any level. You know, you can save how it looks because it kind of does create a little art just by playing a pinball table. Yeah, the splashing colors of the, those watercolor explosions that you get from this game, it just, it, it is beautiful as you hit them. And pinball is a game about precision to a degree where you're trying to hit certain targets in order to get uh, increase your points. But this one is all about the precision because you need to be able to strike up these ramps to hit up and roll the ball along the colored areas, but avoid like those black hole type suck in areas as well. Otherwise you're going to have to get a new ball and then you won't get the maximum score that you possibly could get. So it, it definitely is a, uh, that pinball mechanic 
is the base, but then you really almost do have to be puzzly and think about how you're going to hit the ramps or where exactly you want to hit in order to get the ball around certain areas of the table and avoid other areas of the table. So it is an, an a really nice mix of both pinball and puzzle, and I don't think you tend to see that with straight pinball games as much as with this game where you do have that whole really puzzly aspect of the game. It, yeah, I love a change of pace, and I love when it's made for on the go. You can go and say, I'm going to play one level of inks, and then you complete it. You might want to replay it, but if you don't have time, you know, you completed a level. They're bite-sized. And so, like, when you're playing pinball, you have multiple balls to go through. You know it's going to take a while to complete a game of pinball. This right. has the mechanics of pinball, but boils it down to one level, single scene, and you have a focused objective to try to complete. Yeah, that is a really good point, because then you can you can just pick up and play levels at will whenever you have time. Other than, yeah, with pinball, it definitely does take a lot longer, oh, if you're good. If you're yeah. bad, then you could be just as quick. But <laughs> <laughs> And so that's Inks. It has a period on the end, but I'm not sure you need it if you're searching on the App Store. It is $1.99, and it's universal. Okay, and so my number two was Trevor's number five. I got that number right this time. I hope. Yes. <laughs> and that is Solitarica. And this is another port, unfortunately, but this is so good. And what Solitarica is, is this awesome mix of your classic golf solitaire mixed with an RPG roguelike. So what you do is you pick a deck and these decks are, well, first you have a, so you pick a deck and the decks are based on kind of like the archetypes from RPGs. So they're warrior, wizard, rogue, monk, or bard. And then the decks themselves have been tailored based on the different abilities. So what happens is you play your standard, uh, game of solitaire, but each of the different colors of the cards represent different types of energy. And so what happens is when you clear a card, you get another unit of that energy. And those energy can be used to fire off certain abilities that you've purchased and you now own. These abilities could be do anything like heal you, or they could do things where they can allow you to just cut up a card and not even have to like deal with that card. Or other things where you have uh, the ability to look at what cards are coming up. And so unlike a normal solitaire game, you're actually playing against an enemy. You're trying to fight your way through 18 different enemies and the different enemies have different fighting styles and what will happen is every so often it might be every other turn or sometimes there's a little bit of delay for them to start attacking you but they'll start dealing damage to you so you not only have to try to get rid of all the cards that are out on the playing field you also have to try to survive long enough so you'll have to heal yourself you have to put shields on yourself you'll have to use those magical abilities that you have in order to kind of clear the deck but then also survive and as you complete different uh enemies you'll be able to purchase new abilities using the money you've you've gained by completing a level so you're constantly swapping out your different abilities and trying to maximize your skills and you might do that based on what the next enemy is like or you might do that on just what you like best for your personal style of play and that's what i just really like it just really elevates 
solitaire from just kind of a boring, mindless game to this much more intense, thoughtful experience where you have to plan out moves and plan out what abilities and things you want to use. Solitaire could, just does a great job of delivering that familiar golf solitaire where you go one higher or one lower to complete, you know, to clear all the cards off the board. But you're thrown different hurdles. So your enemy might throw out three more cards to a deck or you have a card that you have to, it has like a shield on it. So you have to cut through it, use it a couple times. So it changes kind of the streaks that you can go on to clear all those cards. And then you essentially, you're clearing the cards to defeat your enemy. So anything that prevents you from clearing those cards gives the enemy another turn to potentially damage and harm you. And you have a limited, you know, shield and armor. So you want to use all your powers at just the right time. And then depending on what card you play, like you said, you get the energy to apply to your four different abilities. So you might, you have a choice, you know, you might have a six on two sides of the board. One goes to, you know, a certain type of energy, another goes to another, but you might want the shield. So you pick the certain six and then that's going to change the path you're going to maneuver through the board. So you have all these little decisions with every single card that you play and then you have that overarching setup to complete the entire run through the different enemies to beat the dungeon boss. And that's going to get you, you know, just into that idea of replaying until you finally make it through all the sequence of enemies. Right. So what I should mention is it, part of it is like a roguelike. So all those things that you're getting in the game that you're purchasing with your your money to get these new abilities, those all go away if you die. So you'll have to redo that each time you play. But there are some persistent abilities that you can get, which now give like special abilities to aces that show up or kings or queens that show up in your deck, which they might give you instant like increased shields or instant uh, increase in a certain type of energy when they pop up. So you can improve your overall deck for a future run at trying to complete all 18 of these and facing off. But within the game, it's always going to feel a little bit different just because of the randomness of which of those items, those magical items come up for purchase that you can uh, apply to your character. So it, there's a nice randomness there and it changes up the gameplay to keep it always fresh. So you're not, you can't always rely on the exact same strategy every time because you don't necessarily, you won't necessarily get the same exact magical items each and every time. Yeah, that is a whole nother, you know, spending those credits that you earn. Like you could even die and then save your life so when do you spend those credits and all those decisions just add that much more to it they build so much onto that familiar solitaire mechanic yeah so if you like card games or solitaire you definitely want to check this one out uh, i think it'll be like that next step a little bit more uh, meaty gameplay that i think you'll really enjoy and once again that's solitarica and it's a universal app and it's 399 Sounds good, and I guess I don't have a drum roll, but that's what's needed. <laughs> there we the go. number one app for me was Mini Metro, the best game of the year for 2016. And, you know, this list was tough to pick a game of the year. It was easy to kind of find the different tiers for top 10, 11 to 20, all the way up like that. But to actually pick that game of the year, it took a while, a bunch of splitting hairs. But it seems like for me, Mini Metro, the main reason was that it scored highly 
in like every aspect of game and it didn't really have any flaws and that kind of put it apart so if you're not familiar mini metro lets you essentially manage a public transit map so you have that familiar idea where the trains go from station to station but you get to oversee everything so you need to drag a path from one station to the other so passengers can move between those points and there's multiple different scenarios based on real world public transit systems so you have london and hong kong and paris and so you're going to have that set up so it has like that real world connection but everything is minimalistically designed you have a white background and then you have colored train lines like the blue line red line and then you have the different shaped stations what really makes the game stand out it has that endless high score setup but you have multiple areas to play through so you're going to want to unlock the new one by doing well on the previous one and then the an individual level really develops and expands as you go so you start out you might just have a triangle and square station to connect and then a circle station and you see that this passenger wants to go to the triangle station they're currently on the circle station but then those shapes change they transform you have all new shapes you have a hexagon on the screen you have an octagon on the screen and now maybe you don't have a path that connects your octagon and hexagon stations because it transferred over from the square and triangle so now you have to redo your lines and then you have more and more passengers and more and more stations to connect so then you're going to have you know, extra train cars introduced or more different lines. So you could have four different colored lines instead of three. So you have all these different little things to manage all in real time as you have passengers waiting to go somewhere. So you have that idea. I understand that public transit idea of people want to get somewhere. And so if they're waiting too long, you're going to end up losing. So you need to keep managing the idea. And everything is made really well for touch to drag and connect those lines or redo them as the shapes of the stations change. Yeah, Mini Metro was my number four, and I have been eagerly awaiting the iOS release of this. Ever since I first played it, they had a browser-based version, then I got to see a demo of it, and then it took a while to get here, but boy, was it worth the wait. Like, this harkens back to the early days of the App Store when the traffic management games were like the thing, and I absolutely ate those up. I loved uh, Harbor Master and Flight Control, and there were probably like 10 other ones. They were like the Invo games for a while, and then all of a sudden they just disappeared. And I think that this is the perfect time for this game to come back and bring back that really simple, frenetic gameplay that everyone loved, where you're constantly having to keep track of things and moving things around and making sure you don't have crashes. Well, here you don't really have crashes, but you constantly have to make sure that pay, that people aren't waiting too long, that they're not going to give up, and you constantly have to reroute things or put new trains on the tracks in order to make sure that your system, which looks beautiful on the screen, by the way, is running smoothly and as and hopefully you can survive as long as you can. This is not going to be one of those quick drop-in, drop-out games. This is the type of thing where hopefully you're doing well enough that you're keeping the system going for a long time and you're just constantly monitoring it, making sure things are going okay. And I absolutely missed this type of the gameplay and I'm so happy to see it come back. And with Mini Metro, they did just such a fantastic job of just it, like you said it works so well for touch and it's just so crisp and clean that they did just an excellent job 
they really did. Like I said at the start, it's virtually flawless, and it's just so immersive and compelling. It's the type of game where you want to set aside some time and not be distracted and just fully focus on operating your public transit system. Like, you get full attention to it just because they did everything so well. And, you know, the the minimalism allows you to kind of focus on the gameplay challenge. It has that Harbor Master flight control idea, but it seems to build upon it because you have these directed stations to get to and you have to create the paths, you know, rather than just some random drawing things. The paths can only go certain ways, you know, because they have to operate on the trains. And then it just keeps building upon itself so well. The way a given level advances is really unlike any of those other time management games before it. Right, yeah. I mean, this one, the the complexity just builds upon itself, and you only have yourself to blame if things start to go really badly because you were the one who designed it. It's not like you you can really react to things. You kind of have to plan ahead, and there are points where you can react, but you're not going to if you didn't plan ahead well to begin with. Like, if you don't have an extra bridge and you can't get over the water again you're not going to be able to get over the water. So you're going to really kind of have to think about things ahead of time and know, you don't know where things are going to pop up, like the new station is going to pop up, but you have to leave yourself openings for when those do and do show up that you can plan ahead and kind of react appropriately to them. Yep. And that's mini Metro. It's four ninety nine. It's universal. And that's my 2016 game of the year. And one thing I wanted to note before, I passed the baton over to Brett, is that a lot of my games were paid games. I understand that's not in vogue on the App Store (laughs) for developers, and a lot of people don't like paying money up front, but it's weird how the best games seem to be paid. (laughs) Yeah, the vast majority of the games that tend to stick with me are paid games. I the, the a lot of the free to play games are just kind of you play it a little bit and you can instantly forget. You don't have that that interest in it. I mean, it just a lot of the free to play mechanics just kind of drive you away or force you to wait and not play as much as you want to play so you end up losing interest. And so I yes, my list too is the vast majority are paid games. Yeah, the only free games have, a, or the only free games for me, I think, have a single unlock. Like two ninety nine unlocks the full game, like Super Yeah, Street and, and I instantly yeah. purchased. I think for any of those games, I instantly purchased the in-app purchase. Yep. So, so by all means. <laughs> so, uh, some of you may, if you're a new listener to the podcast, you may not know my love of digital board games, but I could not pass this by as my top pick of the year and that is patchwork the game digidiced has done a phenomenal job of bringing these uh two-player ue rosenberg board games to digital format and this one in particular patchwork is just so simple for anyone to pick up and play that it is i don't it's just so easy to play that i could not this I played so much of this game, and I continue to play it today. This came out way back in February of last year, and I'm still playing it almost daily today. And so that speaks volumes at how much I enjoy this game. And basically what it is, if you're unfamiliar, is it kind of combines elements of Tetris and strategy in this two-player game where basically you're building quilts. I know 
building quilts may not be your thing, but you don't even have to think about it as quilts. Think of it as a big old nine by nine Tetris board, and you're trying to fill up every open space that you can, not leaving any openings. Otherwise, those are going to lose you points in the end. So basically what you do is on your turn, you have these buttons and they're your currency. So you start out with five and different pieces. They're almost like these Tetris shaped, odd shaped pieces cost a certain amount of points. And then they also have movement numbers on them. So if you were to purchase and place this piece, it costs you X number of buttons, but then you move on the game board that many spaces. And the key is the player who's furthest back on the game board is the current player. So you can you might be able to eke in multiple turns before the other player gets to play if you have the buttons to purchase things and the space available that you're still behind them. So basically what you're going to do on your turn is you have a choice of three pieces. Once you choose one of those pieces, then now the the starting point is the piece after you, the piece after the one you chose. So now the other player, or maybe it's you if you're still of a turn, now gets to choose from three new pieces. So you kind of you always have to be planning ahead. You always have to be looking at what pieces am I going to leave my opponent? Is that going to help them really close all the gaps in their in their quilt, or am I going to end up? Uh, helping myself out by making it maybe they can't afford any of those pieces so now I get another turn and so you there's so much strategy to the game even though it's simple enough for anyone to learn my daughter has been playing the the physical board game with me for for at least a year now so she was eight at the time and had no problems picking it up and so I think anyone can approach this game and pick it up, but there's so much level of strategy in it that as you play more and more, you start to learn the, the combinations of various shaped pieces that will help you out the most, or you start to see patterns of where you can put things that will help you avoid uh, pitfalls later in the game if you end up running into uh, not being able to get the pieces you want. So it's just, this is such a neat little strategy game that I, it is just amazing. I love this game so much, whether it's the physical version or this really, really well done digital version. Uh, it just asynchronous multiplayer or against AI, you have it all here. And I highly, highly recommend Patchwork the game. Yeah, they really did a good job. And, you know, I don't have the digital or I don't have the physical board game, but the digital board game, it fully gets you up and running to fully understand everything that's going on. And like you said, it has that Tetris piece ideal. So you can kind of figure it out in your brain of how these things can go together. And it's really neat to see back and forth head to head as you're trying to fill out your quote, your quilt and your opponent is trying to do the same thing. And, you know, you want this certain piece to come into play and then you could steal it from someone else if you know what they're going to need. And then, like you said, you also have to tie in the buttons. So you have that double strategy element where you're going across the board for the buttons, but then you also have that separate board where you're actually piecing together your quilt. Right, yeah. So one thing I, I guess if you haven't played it, I should have probably been a little more clear about is if you choose not to purchase anything and you decide to just move along the board for every space that you move, you earn a button. So that's how you replenish your supply of buttons certain other pieces if they end up on your quilt will earn you buttons they earn you between one and three buttons so you always kind of have to play this like when do i want to skip 
buying something to earn some buttons and maybe purchase something that's a little more expensive later or maybe I can't play so I have to just move ahead and you can that works for you and against you because it can force you to skip opportunities to purchase if your opponent forces you to to jump ahead versus you uh being able to do it on your own and on your own terms so it, it is just a really nice little strategy game and i highly recommend it uh patchwork the game my game of the year uh 2.99 universal app uh definitely check it out and like Zero, it has three different ai difficulties if you're playing single player as well as the online multiplayer option so you have all those different choices and as well. finding one other player to play with is usually not very difficult. So that's the nice thing about a two-player game. And then, so that's our top 10 of 2016 for both Brett and I. And before we ended, I just wanted to mention two games that were lower out of the top 10, but I've just been playing a bunch of. The first one is Roller Coaster Tycoon, simply because, I mean, I grew up playing that game on the PC. <laughs> Having it on the iPad... It just seems to fit so well for touch and just the classic idea of building the roller coasters, managing your theme park. I could play the game for hours and hours. Probably it came out at the end of December. So if it came out in January, I probably would have played it more than any game this year. So it's a good thing it didn't come out till December. <laughs> and like it's my personal game of the year. For Mini Metro, I think as you know, objectively as possible i kind of made that my game of the year the one i played that i just love is roller coaster tycoon but that's kind of a nostalgia idea so i didn't want to put it like in the top 10 but it's just a great game yeah that, i had never played the original so I, but the way you talk about it i definitely need to check this one out and then the second one is rusty lake roots mainly because this year i decided so rusty lake hotel came out in 2015 it was really great it's a point-and-click adventure game with a crazy, macabre storyline. And so now Rusty Lake Roots continues it, but it goes back to 1800s. So you can follow the storyline of the family and their family tree that inhabits Rusty Lake. So what really made it stand out is that I decided to play all the games in the series. So it's this Cube Escape series. I think there's eight Cube Escape games. They're all free. They're all really well done point and click adventure games that have like little pieces of the rusty lake storyline so rusty lake roots is a paid game it culminates kind of everything else but once you start playing these cube escape games i decided to play them all in 2016 and it's just such a memorable story and kind of universe that they've created you get to see little shout outs it's almost like the marvel cinematic universe when you see the little end credits and someone appears you know in a different movie you have these little pieces oh that's from cube escape you know, birthday, <laughs> or that's over from Cube Escape. Um, what's the other one? I, I have them all downloaded. I think the only one I played so far was Birthday. I need to play all the others. They're all sitting but yeah, in a folder. Cube Escape, the entire just storyline that culminates in the two Rusty Lake paid games. I mean, you can fully enjoy all the Cube Escape games for free, but once you are just fully invested in the thing, the universe you'll want to pay the dollar 99 each for the two different rusty lake games oh no those rusty they're definitely not for kids first off but they are so good those rusty lake games any of those the cube escape ones you definitely want to check those out they're free you have no excuse not to uh but yeah the rusty lake games are so well done they they're just creepy but still like a high quality 
uh, point-and-click adventure style game. And uh, again, for new new listeners to the podcast, my hands down, my two favorite genres on mobile devices are point-and-click adventures and digital board games. So these are right up my alley. I absolutely loved that whole series. And when when they came out with Rusty Lake Roots, it was so tempting to point that up on my list. It was probably number 11, to be honest. Like, it was practically in the top 10 because it was such an enjoyable experience in the creepy way, uh, but still enjoyable. And uh, you definitely want to check out that series of games. Yeah, and I think that's everything for our best of 2016 and the first episode of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. And Brett, thanks for joining me. Oh, yeah, it's a pleasure as always. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.